Everything in the central area here in Hollywood is being funneled toward the Pantages Theater because this is Oscar night. And keep your eyes on the losers tonight as they applaud the winners. You'll see great understanding, great sportsmanship, great acting. Well, the only thing left to say is meet the champion. Hello, and welcome back to The Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movies that have no Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I am your host, Danny Vincent, who did not think of a joke that he normally thinks of to introduce himself. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll just say, Mank, <laughs> who else is here? Well, <laughs> you didn't give me my cue. All right, all right, all right. Let, me, let me do it. Right, let me do do it uh does anyone else want to talk help yourself sister sarah <laughs> that wasn't the cue either anyways <laughs> it's me sister sarah here i'll give i'll give caleb a clue a cue caleb how are you doing today i'm doing nicely nicely i'm caleb <laughs> oh <laughs> that's the character i wanted to do thank you sarah <laughs> i am not in the loop of everything um all right. Well, and then we also have someone special with us today. Yeah, that, that's right. Who is it? Tell us. It's my name is Kevin Hart, and uh, my my Discord skills are a little rusty, Charlie, like the character I played when I did the show in high school. But uh, <laughs> no, I love um, I love guys and dolls. Um, I like the movie and the show. Um, I've known Danny and Sarah from SIU, and. Um, um, and I also was on uh, another one of Danny's podcasts as well. And, um, very excited to be part of this. Nice. Yeah. It's awesome to have you on. Um, when I knew, well, you know, when I look at, I have a, Caleb doesn't, Caleb, uh, gets to be surprised, but I believe me and Sarah have our own like master, like letterbox lists on private, which tells every movie we're going to cover on it. And when I knew we were covering guys and dolls and I was like, we need to have a guest well, well, no, we don't need to have a guest, but we'd like to have a guest eventually on the show. Because you are, fun fact is, Kevin was also my first guest on my ever podcast, and he's the first guest we've had. Um, and it's really just, I don't want to be like, you're not special, Kevin. But it's because, like, guys and dolls, as soon as I saw it, I was like, well, Kevin is definitely the best potential guest for this, because I know he loves that show, and I know he's been a part of it. I think, was it only in high school? I thought you were also in it again, weren't you? No, I was in, I mean, I saw, I saw a couple local productions of it, but I did it in high school. That was my senior year musical. So it's a very special cool. show for me. So if anyone, uh, this is just out there to the listeners uh, who might also podcast. Uh, if you ever do a Grease uh, episode, you could have me on to talk uh, about Eugene and how he's the best character in it. I've never seen yeah. the movie. <laughs> and I can guess, I can guess started with Johnny Casino because that's who I played when I did it. <laughs> Nice. Um, all right. Well, as you might have, um, I was going to say suffice, but that's definitely not the word I'm looking for. But as you might have guessed, we are covering... Surmised is what you're looking for. Ah, there you go. Surmised. <laughs> Yay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, today's episode will be covering a certain musical. But at the 28th Academy Awards, I believe that's the one we're on, right? <laughs> we're at the 28th still, right? Right, guys? Right? Yeah. Sure. We're at the yes. 20th Academy Awards. Yes. That sounds good. At the 20th Academy Awards, Marty had eight nominations. It won four of them. Love is a Many Splendid Thing and The Rose Tattoo also had eight nominations, but they both only won a measly three of them. Then a movie called Picnic had six nominations and won two, while a film called Love Me or Leave Me won, had six nominations and won one Oscar. And then Oklahoma... 
uh, had four nominations, and it won two of them. And then East of Eden and All Cry Tomorrow also had four nominations, but they both won an Oscar. And then there was another movie that had four nominations called Blackboard Jungle. It has no wins, but if you want to listen to Caleb be mad and us talk about it also, <laughs> you can listen to our previous episode on it. And also, if you want to hear me say some stuff with that, when I listened back to it, I was like, oh, dang, I really am cancelable in this episode. Oh, no. Uh, that's that's available for you, too. But anyway, there was another film from this year that had four nominations and no wins, and that is Joseph L. Mankiewicz, furthermore known as Mank, Guys and Dolls. Sarah, what was Guys and Dolls nominated for? Yeah, um, Guys and Dolls was nominated for Best Art Direction Color for Oliver Smith, Joseph C. Wright, and Howard Bristol. Uh, Wright was nominated nine more times, and he won two in the year 1943. Uh, And Bristol was nominated eight more times. Uh, Best Cinematography Color for Harry Stradling, who was nominated 11 more times and won two. Uh, Best Costume Design Color for Irene Sheriff, who was nominated 10 more times and won five. Uh, And Best Scoring of a Musical Picture for Jay Blackman and Cyril J. Mockridge. Uh, Blackton won for Oklahoma that same year. Nice. And Caleb, do you have any historic context for us? I do. Um, first, I would like to make a correction about last week's. I um, said that state troopers were the ones who led uh, desegregation, uh, the kids who were desegregating schools in. That's, of course, not true because governors control state troopers and governors were the people who were trying to prevent desegregation. It was National Guard people who were deployed by the president. But on to this week, I was uh, kind of struggling to find anything interesting to say other than this is kind of the other flip side of where Blackboard Blackboard Jungle was a film that's very uh, was very culturally relevant. This is a film that is very escapist. Um, but then Danny texted me is like, you should do this. Blood tests. Blood tests play. A, I was uh, so confused. It's <laughs> a very minor role in this. However, it is something that pops up in old movies and TV. Uh, basically, syphilis was very common back in the day. And so they would test people for syphilis um, so that when you're getting married to someone, you know about any uh, complications that would arise from that and you wouldn't pass it on to your children unknowingly. Uh, however, once syphilis kind of died down and became less of an issue, some states kept it for other diseases. I think now there are maybe like there are a few states who still keep it, but I think the majority of states you don't need to get blood test. First they close my crap game, then they open my veins. Yep. <laughs> um well before we get in then, since uh, Caleb did a retraction, I would like to formally retract uh my argument that white saviorism doesn't count if there's only white people there because that was a uh, really bad as soon as i said it i was like that is not a good that does not make any sense danny but i just kind of moved on from in the episode that that's not true you can still be a white savior in a school system of only white teachers if there are you know students that aren't white that the bad read of the movie by danny uh very very ignorant of me so and i i should have said that last week so Moving on from that, guys speaking and dolls. Of, speaking of white people, guys and dolls. <laughs> yeah. So hey, two there was, whitest there was a, people. There was one black guy in it. He was, there he was a, in like one scene. Oh, there was know. Cubans, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, there was a Cuba. <laughs> well, you know, well, when they went to, actually, there might have been white people. In that <laughs> they song. did they look a little co- painted. They just covered them in some 
whatever uh, I wore when I was in West Side Story talking about being cancelable. <laughs> it's fine. In West Side played, Story. Speaking of Oklahoma, I played uh, Allie Hackam. That was my first theater oh, yeah. role. And, uh, I love Allie Hackam. I want to play that role, but I mean, I know. Yeah. Uh, what, what, I don't want to cancel. Am I canceled for playing a role Denzel played? I'm, of course, referring to Don Pedro. I just do about nothing. Oh, I was about to be like, were you in Fences? I, no. like, I hope not. <laughs> like you. No, that was a dumb <laughs> joke in uh, college. Okay, so guys and dolls. Um, I don't know why I'm leading it on. I don't. Uh, well, let's give our general thoughts on it first. You know, I don't want to go first for once. I usually do. But... I'll be honest. Uh, I guess now that I'm saying I'll be honest, I will go first. Uh, first off, I had the COVID booster yesterday, so I watched this today while still dealing with some of those side effects, which uh, might have enhanced my ability to fully enjoy a two-hour and 30-minute musical with the plot of something that should be 80 minutes total. So all that in mind, I can definitely appreciate the technical skill here. Uh, I found it really hard to be engaged, and I think that's probably would be an issue I have with it even if I wasn't dealing with side effects of a shot. Uh, but that said, there are a couple of good songs in here. I think two of the performances are really great. The other two are serviceable. Uh, and, you know, it's really, it's a it's a solid musical. I could see it being something that, you know, you're flipping channels on TCM. You catch a couple numbers and you're like, all right, let's see what else is on. You know, that's I have no attachment to this, though. And I can understand why others on this podcast, not just referring to Kevin, might have a connection to it uh, deeper. Uh, but yeah, that's my general thought on it. Sarah or Caleb, Caleb, go ahead. <laughs> you, you went, um, <laughs> well, I was gonna, I was gonna jump in because I did have the TCM uh, experience when I first watched this, I was in a hotel and it was kind of late. And so I put this on and I was like, Oh, it's a musical with, uh, with Marlon Brando. That's interesting. Watched it a little bit of, enjoyed it. And then I was like, Oh wait, I should probably see how late, late I'm going to be up if I watch all of this. Then I realized I was going to be up for a while. So I didn't finish it until this week uh, when I went back and rewatched it. Um, I really did enjoy it. I had a good time with it. It is long, but I split it into two chunks uh, because that's what my schedule permitted. And I think that helped. Um, I will say, though, I don't have a lot of interesting thoughts because I feel like this is a movie that to catch everything that's going on on screen, not in the plot because the plot's pretty bare bones, but just on screen, you have to watch it multiple times. So my my takes are going to be kind of uh, simplistic this time around. Well, I had seen the musical first, um, a community theater production, because my cousins were in it. Uh, my cousin played General Cartwright, um, and and then I, I was a TCM kid. So like when I was like thirteen, I watched it because I was really into. Speaking of canceled takes, I was really into Marlon Brando when I was a teenager. <laughs> so <laughs> I was I really wanted to watch it. I loved it when I was a kid. I love it now. <laughs> I think it's I think it's super engaging. To me, I didn't have an issue. I think I think the dialogue is so strong that for me it's like I just I find the love story engaging, which is rare in, in musicals like this. I think Frank Sinatra's great. I think Gene Simmons is great. Marlon Brando is there he's a good actor <laughs> he is you know what and that's the problem is that he's so charming that it's like but like i can't stand it um his singing is another story his singing is bad I, we'll I, just put that I out take there. on the singing um but we can hold off on it for everyone to give uh their full takes before i interrupt more than that uh, sarah were you done um yeah i can be done 
<laughs> I liked it. That's my that's my take. Okay. Um, I like this a lot. Um, I didn't really watch it until I did the musical in high school. I think I watched it like probably after they'd cast it or, you know, when they announced it. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. It is long as most of those Broadway musicals from that time were. Um, and it is very much, they filmed the stage show verbatim, except when they, they replaced a lot of the songs, but the staging is very like, we're just filming this on a movie set. Uh, but I think it's fun. I'm glad they, they got a lot of the original dancers back to do the big dance scenes from Broadway. Uh, they got Stubby K, who plays nicely, and I'm blanking on him, but the guy who plays Benny South Street um, was in Silver. the show. I have the Johnny Silver. Open. Yes, he was in the show. Um, I'm trying to think who else. And then Vivian Blaine, who originated Adelaide. But um, yeah, Frank's, uh, Frank Sinatra is good but he plays the part that has no singing except they wrote a song for him and then marlon brando who f they famously had to stitch i think 12 takes of luck be a lady together to make it decently soundable um i think he's his singing is really bad but i think he's uh he does good in the role um it's unfortunate that they couldn't have switched him because i think that it would have been um even better and they wouldn't have had to cut so many songs out of it um but it's fun it's an old you know, fun Technicolor, you know, one of those wide, like circular, almost widescreen movies. I want to talk about 55. that. Um, so it's really cool to watch, especially in on the Blu-ray or on digital, because I had the DVD and even the VHS for a while. And, you know, the VHS is panned to full screen and you don't really catch all of it. Uh, so it's really cool to watch, you know, on a bigger screen and in high definition. Uh, the sound is great. Like you said, the orchestrations, um jay blackton did a lot of the old musicals on broadway i think as well and because he did oklahoma and there's somebody else um oh the costumes yeah irene schraft did like a bunch of broadway costumes too so the movie just looks fabulous um i'm, I'm gonna come gushing about it for a bit but i like the movie it's it's got its problems but i like it all right cool so now we'll open up discussion i want to actually bring up one thing very quick that you said because you're not aware of this because you first time on the podcast but this and i brought up something like this last time caleb and sarah gave me blank stares um but this is another milestone for our podcast this is the first film we've seen that's in cinemascope um and as an aspect ratio geek i was like "Ooh, cinemascope uh personally i don't actually think this movie uses it that well i think it's very much a growing pains type of thing where it's like how do we fill up this entire thing uh but it is something that we have to acknowledge is like, oh, yep, we're here now. This is as wide as movies are going to get. Uh, and if and if you watch it um, in HD and I don't know if they've cleaned it up on any like Blu-ray or digital releases. But if you look at the very edge of the screen, sometimes you can see the people that are like kind of warped almost. Yeah, it's, it's kind of yeah, funny. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I noticed that, too. It's like I think the whole film. I don't actually know, obviously, but it at least the Amazon Prime copy. Because I texted Sarah, I was like, this seems a little, like, low quality, in a sense. Not, like, a lower resolution, but, like, I don't know. I mean, there's only so much. It looks like they're stretched out to fit that CinemaScope, but I know it's the CinemaScope. So it's like. Yeah, it, it, it was, I think it's a little, like, longer, sort of in the middle, and then it sort of, it's, I mean, there's only so much you can do with, like, restoring that. Yeah. You know, aside from, like, redrawing the frame, so. Just reshoot yeah. the whole movie. 
shot by shot yeah. remake. <laughs> hey, they did that with um Oklahoma. They shot it um with two cameras. So one was in CinemaScope and one was in regular like Panavision or whatever. Oh, they didn't have Panavision back then, did they? I don't think so. I'm not sure. Okay. Whatever the regular widescreen aspect ratio would have been. Yeah. If we want to talk about the singing now, we can. And then we can jump in. Because uh, I made this comparison. Because um, you, you say Marlon Brando is bad. I agree. <laughs> but I I feel like, to me, as someone who's always been told, like, you know, as someone who's in musical theater and knows about musical movie history, someone who's always been told that um, Marlon Brando is such a bad singer in Guys and Dolls, I feel like it was a little overblown. The comparison I made to Sarah over text was, I feel like he is more Ryan Gosling in La La Land than Pierce Brosnan in Mamma Mia. Uh, so, like, I think okay. Ryan Gosling is fine in La La Land. Like, he's obviously not good, but, like, you can tell he's not a professional singer, but it's like, oh, he's he's doing what he needs to do to do the role. Whereas, like, Pierce Brosnan is like, oh, my gosh, why did you not just dub this guy? I don't know. I don't want to defend Marlon Brando too much, but no, I, I feel like the hatred's a little overblown throughout history, at least among throughout among musical theater musical fans. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just because Sky Masterson has like some of the best songs in the show, which all of them, except for "Luck Be a Lady," which I guess they had to keep because that was one of Frank Sinatra's songs because he wanted to play this part. They had, uh, you know, he has um, uh, "My Time of Day." He has um I've never been in love before, which is duet with uh Sarah Brown. Um but you know, those songs got cut um and replaced with A Woman in Love, which they wrote for it, which is, you know, eh, it's fine. You know. I'm I'm sure it's it, it sounds good during the overture, but like I, when I hear it, I'm just like, uh, ah, skip. I don't care. Uh, but uh, no, his his luck be a lady is. I mean, I, I, it it sounds like they added more chorus to it so that he didn't have to sing as much of it because it's very, it, it's it's all over the place. And I, I I just think it's funny that they had Nathan Detroit, who they cast a non singer on Broadway, Sam Levine, to play the part, and they ended up cutting his songs. Um, they wrote a new one for Frank Sinatra, who's of course Frank Sinatra. Um, so that, and then they added lines for him to sing in it. They added him into Guys and Dolls, the title number, as well. Um, well. But you know, aside from that, I mean, the Broadway performers they got back to do their parts. Um, you know, Stubby K kills it, of course. Sit down, you rock in the boat. Um, Vivian Blaine, you know, we we got to see her and him on screen recreating their roles, doing all their songs. Uh, and and then of course. Um, I guess we're just talking about singing, not dancing or anything, but I mean, the choreography was the original Broadway choreography. So it's very, it's very fun to watch. I wanted to talk about the choreographer in regards to the history of this show, which is that a few, like a month ago or so we covered the bandwagon and this is done. The Michael Kidd did the choreography on both this and the bandwagon. Uh, yeah. And I wanted to bring it up. Uh, I mean, if you've seen the bandwagon, Kevin, I don't know if you have or not. Uh, I think so. Um, it's been a while. If I have, it might have been on TV one time. Uh, I know of it though. I was bringing it up um, because um, Caleb and Sarah picked best production design for that thing, and I feel like this is a very similar production design to um, the Bandwagon. Uh, if either of you have a take it's, on that, or I not. would agree. <laughs> except that, of course, the Bandwagon, like a lot of its sets are on stage and so like when you think about the louisiana hayride or whatever that one song was they're just filming a stage here like 
this the sets are at least supposed to be you know within world so there's a little bit of difference there but definitely a similar level of quality no i mean i would compare it more to hans christian anderson because you have those those painted backdrops and the yeah the kind of the obvious you know set like wooden set pieces which i really like <laughs> i love them too but it kind of no, it's not ahead. really you know realistic it's more <laughs> it's more meant to emulate a stage production yeah like when they're in Cuba, it looks, you know, I mean, it's a movie set, but it looks good. Um, unless they actually went to Cuba. I don't remember, but I don't think they did. I think they just filmed it on a soundstage. And there's a couple things that look good. Um, but yeah, there there's one shot. And I think it's near where the end of act one would be right after the raid. And um, it's it, 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 you can just like see the seam of the like background of like New York. Um and it's of Times Square, just really funny. But but that's that charm. That's what they would do with those old musicals. Um, because it's because they got like the stage design of the show, which used I think I think the original stage show used a lot of backdrops. Didn't have a whole lot of like set pieces aside from like you know when they go to the Adelaide's dressing room or whatever. So it's cool to see. Um, th- that's always charming. I I do like the it's it's a very like colorful like st- almost like a storybook design. Um which I don't know if it's cliche to say that, but you know, the stories of Damien Runyon did inspire the, the movie. So maybe well, that's what they're going for. That's a good place to transition to something. We for, I don't know how I forgot to do, which is that for the listeners at home who might not have watched the movie, they might want to know what guys and dolls is about. Hey, Hey, hey. guys and dolls. Well, we can explain it in five seconds. Probably. Oh, yeah. but... There are guys and there are dolls and they love each other very much. Yeah. That's it. Uh, now, the plot of it is, uh, the way I would describe the plot is, again, as I texted Sarah when I started, like, is this just She's All That? Because <laughs> it is just She's All That, it feels like to me. The classic 90s rom-com. Now, Caleb was about to say, I have not seen She's All That, so Danny, expound. I was about to say, except it has a, a crap game subplot in it. So. <laughs> I mean, I Paul Walker was playing billiards and She's All That. <laughs> First of all, I've only seen I've only seen he's all that. I've not seen uh-huh. she's all that. Um, <laughs> I would compare it more to I I already told you this, but uh, ten things I hate about you, or Taming of the Shrew. Very, very archetypical type. Here's the challenge to get the woman who like you aren't you probably wouldn't get type thing. Yeah, and then they end up liking each other oh. or. One likes the other one more than the other, and then it's a whole thing. One of them uh, learns yeah. to like them while they're drunk. Let's, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's another thing. <laughs> you gotta go. Get that dolce de leche, uh, you know. Which yeah. I think we should serve uh, that to kids. It's a great way for them to drink milk. Great way to get, get them uh, to drink milk. I'm not going to say that on the air. It's my job, so <laughs> I'm not going well, to condone. I don't condone this. I do not, okay. well, for the record. <laughs> They're two adults having fun in Nevada, Cuba. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So really what Guys and Dolls is about is this is where I'll try to do it and we'll see how much I mess it up. It's basically, there's this guy who's named Frank Sinatra. Uh, I know he has an actual name, but it's more, you know what? I'll actually say their names because I know they are like, okay. So Nathan, Nathan Detroit, Detroit is um, a guy who always runs crap games. He's been dating this person. He's been engaged to this person for 14 years and she's like, Oh, baby, why don't we just get married right now? He's like, oh, baby. I, I want to play. 
I want to oh, play crafts with the boys in the sewers. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, and then Frank Sinatra's like uh, Nathan Detroit is like a thousand dollars in debt. So he's like, oh, how do I get out of this? Oh, I know this guy, Sky Masterson, bets on everything. I'll bet him that he can't take a date with this um, missionary girl type of thing. I don't know what you officially call her, Caleb, religious expert. What, what, what is she officially I think she's uh, more in line with like the Salvation Army. Um, because we, we, of course, only think of the Salvation Army as like, it's the people at Christmas or whatever. But it was a larger, back in the days of revival it was a large organization so she goes out with her little with her little marching band and tries to turn sinners away from the craps and the and the bottle and all that stuff yeah and then sky master's like oh well all right i'll bet you a thousand dollars i can date i can take anyone on a date in the city and then uh nathan detroit so funny i can call his other characters by their names but with frank snatcher like oh but then frank snatcher it's frank Uh, it's just frank (laughs) it's uh Nathan's like, all right, bet, do Sister Sarah Brown. And they're like, oh, and then it's a, it's a rom-com type of thing. Yeah. All while we keep cutting back to Nathan Detroit, just singing Frank Sinatra songs, basically, while he plays craps. And at one point, uh, Miss Adelaide dresses up in a cat suit, which I found out was an original song written for this for some reason. Yeah, um, no, the, it was, <laughs> um, yeah, it was supposed to be a uh, bushel in a pack. Um, and they dressed up as um, it varies from production to production. Usually it's like a down on the farm sort of thing. I think there's supposed to be flowers in the original show and they go, he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. And I mean, I think Bush and Lipeck is well known, but they were like, well, you know, there's or maybe it's supposed to be chickens or something. And they're like, well, that's not sexy. Cats are sexy. So they wrote Pet Me Papa, which is like way more suggestive than the other song. But, you know, I feel like the farm thing also might be um, as we said earlier, we did the bandwagon, which is really just two years prior at least. There's the big Louisiana hayride thing. Maybe they were worried yeah. they'd be too similar. Well, it's... there was also Oklahoma that came out the same year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might be it, too. Uh, when are we going to get sexy guys and dolls like we got sexy Oklahoma a couple years ago? Come on. Give me uh, guys and dolls with blood on the stage. They did. <laughs> I have my thoughts about that Oklahoma. <laughs> that's for another day. Most people I know don't actually like sexy Oklahoma. I remember my brother it's, went to go see it when it was on tour, and he was like, "That was such a weird production of Oklahoma." I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's sexy Oklahoma." For but me. you're well, thinking I, about I, it, which is what I, they were I, going for. Because what person <laughs> our age has thought about Oklahoma since they were in it in high school or whatever? I have, because I'm I'm weird and I like I love musicals. But you know what? Um, I mean, I would want to see it live because I hear it's like a really weird visceral experience, but when I like see pictures of it, I listen to it and I'm like, I just watched the movie. I never want I like to think of movie. Oklahoma as a visceral experience. <laughs> well, it, cause it's like weird. Cause there's like, they play those low tones that it like are supposed to like scare people in movie theaters. There's like blackout moments. Like, you know, somebody gets shot on stage. I mean, it's, it's a whole thing. You know? I feel like whatever I hear about sex with Oklahoma, I just think of it now. I think like, Oh, is that like on euphoria? Was that like a thing on euphoria? Yeah. I don't know. I don't watch euphoria. I don't know. Um, anyway, like <laughs> the guys in the halls. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the that's the plot of the movie. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. they get to the at the end of it. Um, are we are we going through the? Are we just doing like a basic synopsis? Are we? Gonna uh, we can do. I was just doing a. I was just doing a basic like setup because I'm sure. We'll okay. Oh, setup for it. Okay. End. Yeah. Okay. Like, Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. No, you're good. You're good. Um, Sarah or Caleb, do you have anything you want to particularly bring up to start with? Because I feel like. 
of us three, I've been definitely leading this, and I definitely liked it the least of us three, so I should not be leading it. <laughs> I, I mean, the stuff with Adelaide, it, I mean, her storyline is also important. I feel like um, Frank Sinatra's whole, Nathan Detroit's whole storyline is if he's going to get married to Miss Adelaide or not. Um, when Adelaide just wants to get married. I remember in, in the stage show, I feel like Adelaide had a bigger role in the stage show. And I know they cut they cut some of her songs yep. as well. They cut a duet with her and Sarah, which I remember really song. liking. Um, yeah, it's a good song. But yeah, I mean, it's it's all dependent on each other. I mean, there's this whole thing where they're going to do the crafts game and then the cop comes in and they're like, oh, well, it's actually a wedding party. So then he's trapped into marriage, which is every man's worst nightmare um so it's yeah there's a there's a lot with with that as well that's kind of the the subplot i will say in general that was the plot that had me more invested because i feel like besides the singing marlon brando is a better actor than frank sinatra so he he carries his scenes better than sinatra does but sinatra's paired with um what was the actress playing Adelaide? Vivian, Vivian Blaine? Blaine. Vivian Blaine is great in this. And I feel like every, yeah. like she is taking this very familiar kind of uh, type character and really finding the places to flesh, flesh it out. And I love, I love her reading up on her psychosomatic symptoms and all that stuff. Um, I really That's like a good song. Yeah. I like the song Sue Me. I think that one's a lot of fun, not because of Sinatra, but because of how Blaine's reacting to it. And so that that along with all the supporting cast of gangsters and stuff is a lot of fun. So I would say that the Sinatra side, the Nathan Detroit side, is definitely the part that I was most invested in here. Even though the Sky uh, subplot is mainly where the plot is being driven forward the most. I think it's. I'm about to drop the hot take because I saw you agree. Uh, I actually I agree in the sense that I think the Sinatra stuff is way more appealing than the Sky and Sarah stuff, but I also think uh, Vivian Blaine is playing most of it too broad. Uh, it's just my opinion. I think she is of the four lead actors the weakest of the four main actors, because oh. um, I think Saint Sinatra might not actually be giving a air quotes good performance, but he is giving a star performance in the sense that I'm like, oh yeah, there's Frank Sinatra doing his Sinatra thing. I'm inherently entranced by this. Because it's his charisma is coming through um, in a sense that Brando and uh, well, Brando is not in the same sense because Brando is more subdued. Brando is, as you said, a better actor, but he's not at this point in his career. I don't think he's a better star, if that makes sense. Yeah, he was he was he was rising at this point. I mean, he, he had just done on the waterfront. So, yeah, I mean, he was he was starting to get that recognition. Um, but um yeah, I mean Vivian Blaine also is did it on Broadway for a while. So she and this and this this is happens and I'm sure you guys have seen this in a lot of the Broadway musicals in the 50s and 60s that they would turn into movies. I mean, they are doing their Broadway performance on screen. Um and you still see that. That happened in Dear Evan Hansen. I mean, mm-hmm. Ben Platt was just doing his his Broadway performance on screen. Uh and I don't think Vivian Blaine is as extreme and 
weird as uh, Ben Platt was. I mean, at all. I, I, but, you I, I wouldn't say that either. I'm not, not going to be that hard on her. No, but but you know when she's when she's doing her when she's doing her lament in front of the mirror and um she's doing you know take back your mink and stuff like that. I mean, it's very much you know she's she's how she would perform it on stage, performing to the camera, the audience. Um, but you know, and then she's with Sinatra, so and and they do have the more even though it is a very investing uh, part of the story, I agree, it is considered the more B sort of like comedic plot. So they play around a little more with it than uh, Sky and Sarah, who are the more serious love story. Yeah. I mean, also, to be fair, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, for me to say this performance is too broad might be a tad ridiculous because of the stylized nature of the film. Because this movie never really pretends it's in like real locations. Like it's yeah. very obvious artificial backdrops, which is fine. Like it's the style they're going for. Um, in which case, yeah, definitely is not as bad as say, as you said, Dear Van Hansen. But even when I think about Fences, just to bring it back to Denzel. Fe- well, Fences is, <laughs> yeah, that's very much they just filmed the show. Yeah. And like those performances are so big and they're so good. They're still good, but they're a little too large, in my opinion, for the size of the film. Well, there's um, nothing going on in the direction of that movie. Like, yeah. Sorry, Denzel, we, we love you, but... Here at least the movie, the movie feels big. It looks big. So when you do have the bigger performances, it kind of matches that energy. I think the opening that's so heavily choreographed, which is just like, you know, these passers-by getting hustled and re-hustled and stuff, really like sets you up for what type of story and what type of world you're going to be in for the next two and a half hours. And I love that opening dance. That's um, it's it's a tough one to pull off on stage too. Um, but because there's so all those different characters, they all have their moment. You know, you got the guy who's like, "I am blind," and he's pretending to race horses. Um, you know, you got the boxer who's really weak. Um, you know, you got the, you know, you got the guy trying to steal watches. It's so much fun, and it and you know the music. I think they reorchestrated it for the movie. But yeah, that that music, Runyon Land. Damien Runyon um it's just you know it's this whole it is a ballet but it's very much staging the way um everyone's sort of you know it's just one after another after another and I do like the um what they're able to do this in the movie with Rusty Charlie where for a good chunk of it it's him walking through just reading the uh you know the racing track numbers and you know drinking his coffee or whatever he has and you know just walking through everybody and it's it's so cool it's i love you know scenes like that and then go straight into a fugue for three tin horns which is a wonderful uh little number that i got to be a part of and it's a it's a fun song i was gonna say um well i'm glad you got to be a part of it um um also i was gonna say was actually that opening number is very specifically why earlier I brought up to Sarah and Caleb the similarities with the bandwagon to me, at least in production design, because that 100% reminds me of the, uh, oh, I forgot the name of the number in the bandwagon, but the number that Caleb really liked, and I think we all liked it, the shoe shiner. By the way, I'll tell you right now, this is to update on something we said during the bandwagon episode. I remember, Caleb, you said that you wondered why, uh, I think it was, his name was Leroy Brown, but the guy who played the shoe shiner, why he wasn't in more stuff in Hollywood. And I actually watched a documentary about the bandwagon earlier this week. Where that was a literal shoe shiner, Gene, uh, not Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire found like in like while they were rehearsing the number, and he's like, "Do you want to be part of this number?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure." And so like, it is legit, just like a find. <laughs> like that makes that me, story comes from Fred Astaire's daughter. <laughs> that makes me appreciate it so much more because 
like I said, that guy was a really good dancer. He was able to keep up with Fred Astaire. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I was like, whoa, really? Because, yeah, I watched the documentary about it. And then afterwards, that's entertainment was stuck in my head the rest of the week. Uh, that's entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, back to Guys and Dolls. Um, I do think it's it kind of is one of those things where I think this movie really has me until Marlon Brando is introduced. Because, again, <laughs> it's one of those things where I think Sinatra is so just naturally charismatic in it that when we go to Marlon Brando, who's like the actual actor here, it's like, I don't necessarily think it meshes with the stylized materials much. Cause I remember like, like being really into the part where it's like, look up how many people order cheesecake and order strudel and stuff like that, you know? Uh, yeah. But then, uh, I don't know. And that's also one of the scenes that they made him do it over and over because um, uh, I think it was Frank Sinatra was allergic or hated um cheesecake and um marlon brando hated him and he just kept on messing up the scene on purpose till he threw up it's kind of funny well and i think i mean i think that's why it feels like there's like this disconnect is because like i don't even think they talked to each other no they didn't (laughs) they ended up not talking to each other because frank sinatra doesn't play it as comedic relief to me really and he was supposed to, in his songs, use like a, a Bronx accent and he refused. And Marlon Brando ended up complaining to Mank about it. And Mank didn't do anything. And then Marlon Brando said he would never work with Mank again. I am reading the, uh, I have this open right now, is the, uh, Kevin, to kind of correct you from earlier, which I don't blame you because I didn't know this. Uh, at this time, this, we were at the point in time where Marlon Brando was considered the biggest box office draw, period. Like he is. He is a star right now. I just don't think his star persona to me is as he's like, oh, you it's know, not. He's like a serious actor. You know, it's not like I go yeah. see. Um, I mean, <laughs> that isn't a good example. I was going to use the, my Ryan Gosling um, thing again, but like the nice guys proves Ryan Gosling is great at comedy. But you know what I mean? He's not like. A, he's know. not how he was in like the 70s. How like, yeah, Marlon Brando would be in something and it'd be like, oh, yeah, like oh, like a, he's not like a Daniel Day Lewis yet, like yeah. that type of method actor considered. Yeah, um, he I guess he's like Daniel Day Lewis in the nineties. I don't know. I don't well, know that does that does is. remind me is there was another thing that I saw where early on Marlon Brando asked uh, Frank Sinatra for help in rehearsing the songs, and Frank Sinatra said he doesn't do method. <laughs> <laughs> well. What I see here is that Sinatra wanted the role on On the Waterfront that Brando got. And that's where their um, little tiff began. Mm. Well, he also and, wanted to play. And he also wanted Sky. No, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. That's why he, he sings Luck Be a Lady in all his like concerts. But he also did. wanted to be in The Godfather. So their rivalry really? continued. Oh, I feel like Frank's. That's something where it's like, I can't even imagine Frank Sinatra in The Godfather. Like. I can't. I, I just cannot imagine. That. I don't know how they would have turned it into a musical. Um, <laughs> you I gotta on sing the day one of my wedding. I have to go sing. <laughs> yeah, yo, you're distracting me from my warm ups. I don't know. Love is a rose. <laughs> Opening credits play over Frank Sinatra <laughs> singing at the wedding. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I did. I, we mentioned this a little beforehand, but I do see that Marilyn Monroe wanted to be Adelaide. And I'm actually, I feel like that's something that I've been interested in seeing, even though, yes, I've come around on saying, I mean, Boyne, I guess, isn't that bad. She's just, she's fine. But I think Monroe would have been really interesting. She would have been, no, she would have been fine. I mean, because yeah. she did musicals and she did, um, 
A gentleman prefer blondes. Which, oh, who likes that um, movie? Everyone hates that movie. She's oh, a whore. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, no, the no. state show's good. We're, I, we're I, bidding. I, uh, we're bidding right now because um, the director of Blonde gave an interview where someone asked him like, "What his favorite?" I don't remember exactly what he said. Like, what led him into it? But he's like, "Oh yeah, but who actually watches Gentleman Prefer Blondes? It's a terrible movie." And the interviewer's like, "No, it's fantastic. I love it." And he's like, "Really?" It's like, and then, he, and then he calls her a whore. <laughs> he calls her a well dressed whore in that movie. <laughs> yeah, so a blonde right. on Netflix now. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't really want to. I've I've heard really aside from how like well it's shot, like production wise, I've heard like nothing good about that Marilyn Monroe movie. I yeah. don't really want to watch it. I think we are, well, with the exception of Caleb. I can't speak for Caleb, but I think me and Sarah are pretty. Sarah's more vehemently against it than I am. Okay, I'm just yeah. Like, eh, I've got. The I best. got no time to watch a three-hour-long NC-17 Marilyn Monroe movie where she just says daddy the whole movie. With the way Marilyn Monroe's life has been remembered, the only good Marilyn Monroe biopic is the one that doesn't exist. Yeah, because it was like, we're gonna... Because from what I heard about it, it was, you know, Marilyn Monroe has been so exploited over the years, and we're gonna exploit her for three hours, and it's your fault because you're sick for this... I, I feel like Caleb saying that though makes it feel like a dare for me to go watch My Week of Maryland and give a take on it. Because <laughs> I've heard that one's okay. <laughs> but uh Blonde. Let's let's Man. date this episode just, by talking about something currently. <laughs> well just think of how 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 different her life would have turned if she maybe. hadn't been in this movie. Thanks a lot, Vivian Blaine, for taking it yeah. away from her. That's yeah, what we do. We blame you. we blame other women on Marilyn Monroe's <laughs> failures. None of the men in her life were bad. Just Vivian Blaine. Yeah. Uh, I heard no. she killed her. I just hear people <laughs> saying that. Uh, I'm going to preemptively apologize now for anyone who takes what I just said out of context because I don't want to be every week like opening up like, yeah, I said something stupid last no, week. No, that one's clearly a joke. I think you're good there. <laughs> well, speaking of dating this episode, so I did also see that Marlon Brando got a car from the producer because he was so well behaved on set and <laughs> it was on the condition that he promoted the movie but much like Miss Flo with Don't Worry Darling <laughs> he decided that he was not going to promote the movie anymore <laughs> that's really funny because it's like it sounds like everyone involved really with the production was mad uh, wait who just wait who got the car who got the car Marlon Brando got the car well, yeah, so it sounds like everyone in this production was annoyed more than Brando. And then Brando got out promoting it anyway. So it's like, And what? he got a car. And he got like, You know, you know, it's, can I, can I, can I also say, um, well, I guess this is sort of one of the other characters in the movie, um, Big Julie, um, the guy who plays him, B.S. Polly, was like, a, when they, when they, cast the show in 1950 in new york uh he was like he was like two weeks out of prison and he came into the audition and he was like f this and you know mother f that and he's like i swear and he's like he was like actually a criminal and they're like you want to be in this <laughs> so they so he auditioned and he was like um so he's like really like a criminal and um and it's um i think he's funny i think he's great there's a raspy voice I don't know what made me think of that, but I think we're thinking of like stories about like the 
cast and stuff but yeah that makes me uh want to talk about frank sinatra real quick yeah i don't i don't know a lot about frank sinatra in real life but i do know in his movies he often played criminals and the like um and i know he, he supposedly had mob connections but man i cannot see him as anyone who's ever broken the law every time i see him in a movie i'm like that's the most clean cut like boring man alive <laughs> i feel like well I go just like I said, know nothing about his real life. So he does to me like a, and this is very much because I know Clooney's in the remake of Ocean's Eleven, but he does give me like a Clooney vibe, you know, like that type of like what's the word, clean cut, but like rogue charm, like. But I get it's also like Clooney doesn't really ever. I mean, I can't really say that, but Clooney usually just doesn't really play outright bad guys too either. He just plays like roguish charming well, but Clooney troublemakers can, Clooney can be the butt of a joke though especially in the, oh, yeah, the Coen definitely. Brothers movies Frank Sinatra I don't think can be <laughs> he he tried there's I mean just because of how Nathan Detroit's written he's the butt of a couple jokes but he does it kind of reluctantly yeah. and he'll like throw a like one liner out so that it's not completely embarrassing or whatever well since Kevin you were just talking about bit players in this I wanted to bring up that we invite a very special person to the three timers club here on the snub club, which is uh appeared in our very first episode too. And I'm referring to Regis Toomey, who has previously appeared on this pod- yeah. podcast in Come to the Stable, but more importantly, in our first episode in Alibi, where he gives like a, a monologue that feels like maybe an entire fourth of the runtime as he dies. It's more like five minutes, but it feels way longer than that. Uh, uh, and he's back, you know, and it's really exciting to see someone who we saw in a movie in 1929 be in this movie in 1955. You know, he just keeps yeah. coming back for more. Uh, and he he's another one where they, he had an entire song that they cut, which was oh, more cannot wish on. you. And, and the, the scene you're talking five about minutes of Regis to me talking to the camera again, no, but, <laughs> but, but here, but like, here's the thing, <laughs> um, uh, the, the scene right before the crap game where, um, you know, it's after the raid and everything. Yeah. When he's talking to Sarah and he's like, well, what's the matter? Why can't you love him? I mean, that was a whole song, like this whole ballad he sang to her, um, as, as his the sort of grandfatherly, um, or uncle figure i'm blanking on what he is he's, he's uncle arvide okay he's uncle but um yeah it's, it's a sweet song but yeah there's another one they just like threw out because they wanted to speed up this two hour and 30 minute musical i guess i don't know it would be like the the cheer up charlie of the movie it's yeah it's very much a cheer up charlie song but like if cheer up charlie was like near the end of it <laughs> I'm imagining Regis to me specifically an alibi, just saying the lyrics to Cheer Up Charlie as he's dying. <laughs> Cheer up, Charlie. What else do we want to talk about with this movie? There's a lot more. We didn't even really get into like what our favorite numbers are. Uh, if we want to do that, um, I, I mean, it's a cliche answer. I feel like, but I feel like "Sit Down and You're Rocking the Boat" has to be it for me. Yeah, ever that or. Um, if we're counting just dance numbers, I actually don't think the opening dance numbers. What I, I like the dance number in Cuba. Uh, because I always love watching people dance, air quotes, drunk. I think it's really fun to see like an actor try to do that. And I think actually uh, Gene Simmons does a fantastic job with the uh, drunk acting in this movie, especially if, for the if 50s. You, if you want to see a legit drunk dance where they're drunk, have you ever seen Holiday Inn? 
No, actually, I haven't. They always screen, okay. they always have it here every Christmas, but yeah, really Holiday Inn see, uh, it's wonderful. Is <laughs> is a well, Holiday Inn's a classic. Um, it's I think it's perfect, except for there's like a blackface number in it. But other than that, it's amazing. That's a uh, but yeah, <laughs> no, it is. It is. It it if pe- when people say they don't like it for that, I'm like, well, it's like I guess I can see that. But um, yeah, it, it's uh, but there's a number where um. Um, Fred Astaire had to be drunk dancing and he's like well I'll just actually be drunk and he drank like a bunch of bourbon and then tried to dance and it's like in the movie and that's so, pretty actually incredible now I kind of want to watch yeah. it just for that the idea of Fred Astaire like being willing to put himself out there like that is pretty cool yeah <laughs> yeah uh, well then what yeah. are you guys favorite numbers in this Um, I really liked Adelaide's Lament I just love you know, a poison that is a good song. can That's develop a, good song. a cough. <laughs> I love the lyrics in that song. It's so like yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, I also, I, I like guys and dolls, but I, I think it's just cause I like Sinatra. I like, um, there, there are a lot of songs in here that work. I think, uh, I like the lament song as well. Um, but I think the main thing is probably sit down center that, and it comes so late in the film that you're kind of expecting there not to be another like really good song. And that comes out of the way. Um, a good version of look, be a lady may take it. Uh, if I ever see the stage version, but, um, at the same time, even then I was like, I wasn't hating that song. It's just, you can acknowledge that, uh, it would be better with a better singer. It, yeah, it, it totally would be. I love luck, be a lady. Um, and I, you know, as much as I'm, you know, making fun of Marlon Brando, I mean, it is cool to watch in the movie um, the, you know, him going through the stylized um, sewers and then all the guys, you know, doing the dance. Uh, Sit Down, You Rock in the Boat is great. Um, and it's great to see the original nicely, nicely do it. Uh, he does it really fast, way faster than it usually is in the show, um, which is, you know, it's, it's exciting to watch. Um, but I let's see i would say it's tough it's the i i also really like take back your mink is a fun number i think that number is pretty funny and um and is and is a fun dance um but it's it's like a toss-up between i i don't want to say i'm gonna be cliche but like all of them because i really do like a lot of the songs in here um uh, the, the first song that um not the first song uh, but oldest established permanent Floating Crap Game is a really good one. I always loved that song. Um, and the dance in the sewer is not the luck be a lady, but when they first get down there, that big four minute crapshooters dance is really good too. I love that. That's um, you know, that's that's exciting. All the different, you know, all the different kind of betters who are like, you know, the one guy's got like the chicken head sort of. Um, you know, there's the other guys who are like, you know, doing this thing while they're walking over. Uh, and it, and it's all, you know, they're all in that big circle and then they throw the dice with a, you know, wood block and a xylophone trill. I, I think that's super. I love stuff like that. So I, I, I guess the crapshoot to dance is probably my favorite dance. Um, I, I don't know. It's And it's toss up between sit down, you rock in the boat and um, oldest established for me. I want to say right now what we should do is, Caleb, you can try to be included if you want to be. I'm not sure if you will be. But what would our dream cast be? Not for a remake, but for a Broadway revival of this. Oh, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, uh, if you want to, if you want to put in a star to stunt cast Caleb, you can. If you want to uh, pick a starter, you can stunt cast him on the four leads. You can. Ooh, um, that'd be fun. We'll let you pick whichever one you want to knock out for us uh, as a star stunt cast role. Boy, give me a minute. All right. I'll say right now what I was thinking for, and you guys could be like, no, that's terrible if you want. I was thinking uh, maybe he's a little too old for it, but I also think they should be an older couple anyway. I think for Nathan Detroit, I think Brian Darcy James would be really cool to see in that role. Uh, as someone who saw Into the Woods last month and needs to listen to the cast recording. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic. I gotta listen to that cast recording, but I feel like Brian Darcy James would be really good in that role. Um, but yeah, do I, you have any ideas on what you would want to cast in like a Broadway revival of it? Um, oh, go ahead. Well, I've got my celebrity, uh, stunt celebrity cast. Stunt cast? I don't know okay. if you can sing, but Kiki Palmer as Adelaide, I think would be fun. Oh yeah. Kiki oh, Palmer can sing. She, can sing. she was in, um, yeah. she was in Greece, I think when they did that live. So yeah, she'd yeah. be great. She'd be cool. Yeah. All right. What about you guys? Do you have any? And you, to be clear, you don't have to like only do Sky Mesh and Sir Brown because we've cast the upper two. But yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, you go. We're gonna have some. Oh, Sarah. my. Well, Danny already knows what I'm gonna say now. You don't have to <laughs> if you don't want to. No, because it's my boy. Part stunt casting, part legitimate actor, Jake Tone Hall. <laughs> <laughs> as Sky Masterson. He could do both, honestly, but I feel like he's a better Sky. Yeah. Jake's a good singer. He did Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors and he was really good. Um I uh for Broadway casting, I know he's kind of retired and sworn off of singing, but I don't think anyone has done Nathan Detroit better than Nathan Lane. And I think that is like very much his role as much as the original guy is probably um I would see Nathan Detroit, uh, Nathan Detroit, Nathan Lane do it again. Um, let's see. I, the other I will ones. say, as much as I like Kiki Palmer as Miss Adelaide, if we're going to keep casting older on Nathan Detroit, we should probably go older on Miss Adelaide. We could have like yeah. uh, we could have Harry Styles as Nathan Detroit and the one with Kiki Palmer. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Guys and Dolls Jr. Reeve Carney can oh, do yeah, it. Yeah, Reeve Carney. Yeah, yeah. Reeve I know Carney some Broadway <laughs> people. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, I've seen a, I've seen two Broadway shows and both of them had Reed Carney in it. Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's my Spider-Man. <laughs> he better be in one of the spider sequels. I'm just saying. Yeah. But okay, but then who would you have as Adelaide with um, Nathan Lane? With, with gotta, Nathan Lane. Because you can't have Kiki Palmer with Nathan Lane. That's, no. that's I, weird. <laughs> yeah, you could. Each, well, you know, she's, you know she's, she's aged well. I don't know. Um, no, uh, let's see. Uh, who who would be Adelaide along with him? As someone who just saw her into the woods, I could see uh, Patina Miller doing a good job of it, but I don't know if she'd want to be in what is my opinion the smallest role of the four roles. Um, so, but but one of the most memorable. I mean, it's true. Honestly. Yeah, she has the songs. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I let's see. I mean, Broadway performers has. Oh, I'm blanking already. I don't think Bernadette Peters ever played. Uh, oh, Adelaide. she'd be good. But she would be really good as Adelaide. Um, maybe uh, Donna Murphy as well. Donna oh, Murphy. Donna Murphy would be really good. Yeah. That'd be that'd be a great choice yeah. for Adelaide. Um, yeah, Sky could be anybody. Dad, Jake Gyllenhaal would be, would be a good Sky Masterson, I think. Um, 
No, right. now that I'm thinking about it, but um, then we have to cast Sister Sarah. She's the only person we haven't put on an email. Sister for Sarah, at all. no, we haven't put on um, email for her at all. <laughs> we got it. Well, we gotta... um, oh goodness. Well, she, she could probably still do it. Um, goodness. Um, Philip Sue would be awesome. Well, she, I think she's yeah. gonna play. I'm she's just gonna play the entire Into the Woods cast. And I'm no, Philip Sue is. I think she's supposed to play Sarah like in a concert oh, of it or something. You're Isn't right. She, she yeah. is. I she would be swear amazing. I forgot about it. I swear I yeah. forgot about it. I promise. I'm not just. I swear I forgot. No, no, no. You're good. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Philip Sue would be great. I was thinking, God, who is uh, the, the the woman who just played Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady on Broadway a couple years ago? Oh, I, I think Lauren Ambrose, maybe. I don't remember. Yeah, her name, that sounds she's, about right. She's really good. I would, I would. She would be a really good um, Sarah. Uh, Caleb, what's your stunt cast for Sarah? <laughs> Kiki Palmer Henry Styles. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> said Henry. The Henry other Gene Styles. Simmons. <laughs> Miss Flo, Miss Flo on stage for her first performance. Listen, man, you're lucky you got one name out of me. <laughs> Caleb is uh, your job is to cast. We're, we're casting the Broadway show. Caleb's job is to cast the bad Hollywood remake of it, directed or, by um, Ryan Murphy. Or the, oh, don't you <laughs> so, dare say Ryan okay, Murphy! So James would do this. Corbin is Sky Masters. <laughs> You know, if we were to go young on Sky Master, <laughs> I could see Ariana DeBose being a good Sarah, Sister Sarah. Oh, yeah. We're I mean, go. but she'd be I good. mean, she's good at everything. Yeah. She's good at <laughs> so. James Corden, isn't it? <laughs> James Corden is going to play Big Julie. Come on. Well, he, would uh, be, he would be nicely, nicely. If oh, we're God, being please. honest. He probably would. He probably would be. Nice like, nicely, nicely. Nicely, nicely. You see, all of us got pink carnations so that they can show us that we got all the people here for Nate and Detroit's uh, wedding. I wonder what the alternate reality is where James Corden didn't get the late 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 show and he instead did his uh it's a funny thing happened revival. I wonder where, so, where he comes see, back. He could be pseudolist. I think yeah, he would be do great it. in that. He'd, he'd be, be a like, great pseudolist. But, yeah, he was great in One Man, Two Governors, but like, I mean, then he became Hollywood. But then he and did Cats, and you know, Cats is great. We, we I, that's, all, you know what? That's your who have seen Cats have loved it here. That's your people. opinion. I mean, your opinion is valid as much as anyone else's. My opinion is it's not a good movie, but that's fine. They filmed it in 1998, and if you want to watch Cats, that's the one to watch. Now, when are we getting the Starlight Express movie, Amen. Andrew Lloyd Webber? <laughs> Hey, Phantom's closing, so we gotta get a remake of that one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a shame they never did a Phantom of the Opera movie. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I would love to see so it with music. We've done a lot of good classic horror movies about it. The but the yeah. silent one is my jam. I love that movie. Yeah, Phantom of the Paradise. If y'all are here for a wacky time, that's oh, I've heard good things about Phantom of the Paradise. Um, all right, I think we've exhausted guys and dolls. <laughs> We're talking about uh, fan, we're talking about Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, let's be real. Um, so now we will do. I'm saying this more for Kevin's sake. We will now do the portion of the show where we decide what we would nominate. Well, what we win, and then what else we would nominate for. Uh, we will go in our normal order, but Kevin, you will be placed right at the beginning at both of them. So, all right. So, Sarah, what was this nominated for? Remind us. Uh, best art direction, color. Best cinematography, color. Best costume design color, best scoring of a musical picture. All right, so Kevin, what would you have it win? 
for guys and dolls, what I would have it win, you know, I, I think the movie orchestrations blow the original Broadway's orchestrations out of the water. I mean, I think especially once the show became a um, community theater, you know, standard, I think they sort of like simplified the band parts a little bit. The movie, I mean, the the movie even makes like the opening, you know, Fugue for Three Tenorns, it makes that like, you know, you know, big and broad with different sort of little, you know, nicks and knacks in the in the band parts. And, you know, they and they even make, you know, Luck Be a Lady as bad as Brando sounds in it. You know, they really beef that up with horns and, you know, reeds and strings and everything. I would have to say it should win for the orchestrations because I think they're wonderful. All right. So uh, you're, you're a best scoring of a musical picture. I yes. personally was between two of them because as i said well i'll be honest i have no comparison point for the scoring of musical picture so i always find it hard to award that one personally um so and i already said i think the cinematography is bad so i have two <laughs> other options here uh and between the two of them i gotta go costume design because i feel like we've seen this type of art direction in other movies better particularly in the bandwagon um i mean the art direction here is still pretty really good but I think the costume design more sticks those, out. I, I like literally in like the suits. first, yeah, Pop. literally. Well, I was also thinking literally in like the first like minute of the movie during that big dance sequence, we see those women who are wearing like opposites Dude, of each other's outfits. They're wearing the the like tape on them. That's all. Like, yeah, yeah, I always think about that. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, costume design, sure. Like that's that's my pick, <laughs> costume design. Um, I also choose costume design. That's it. Short and to the point. I love it. Wow. uh, I mean, I feel like I should switch my answer now, but I'm not going to. Costume design. Um, Wow. We rarely have a straight streak of us three. It's okay, Kevin. You will still count this as a straight streak. No, uh, the costumes are beautiful. I agree with you. I just, I really like the orchestrations. You do make a very good argument for the scoring, though. Thank you. All right. So, oh, did you have anything else you want to say about the costume scale up? I know they're good. <laughs> okay. And then add a nomination for it. Kevin? Okay. Adding a nomination. Let's see. Oh, to I... be clear, by the way, um, just I don't think you're going to, but we don't allow you to add Best Picture. That's not allowed. We don't <laughs> allow what? Is, you can't add Best Picture. You can't yes, be like, you can. Hey, it has been done before. Danny just doesn't like and it. And I told you it's against the rules when you did it, and you did it anyway. I love this musical, but it's not a Best Picture winner, so don't worry. Um, uh, I would give Best uh, Supporting Actor to Stubby K for Nicely Nicely Johnson, because he is fabulous. Nicely Nicely. Yep. Well, I was going to go on a whole thing about how Stubby K was my MVP for this, how every time he was on screen, I got really happy, and then he got a song at the end, which I wasn't expecting, which made me even happier. Um, However... Uh, you pick that one, and I want to piss Danny off. So, best picture. Um, I don't care. I'm going to keep it in the stats. Of Stubby K. Yeah, no, I'm no. Stubby, Stubby K deserves it. That's my real pick. I want to. I want to point out, Sarah. Don't worry. I'll let you say yours. But now Caleb finally knows what it feels like for you. I feel like Sarah, because like I think half the time we do this, one of us will say what you, you're going to say before it's your turn, and then Caleb, and like it's Caleb usually, and then you're like Caleb took it from me. So anyway, hopefully you're not picking Stubby K. So this preamble is, is not. But anyway, sir, what do you pick? Um, I'm still thinking about mine. Um, I feel like there's a lot of good options here. 
I'm going to say best song for Adelaide. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. they did write that for the movie, and it is a pretty good song. Uh, I came into this. I always come on the recording saying, I know what I'm going to talk about for my winner, and then I avoid talking about it during the actual segment. <laughs> um, and that that happened to you, because I think the best performance in this movie is Gene Simmons. I think she has a role that is not necessarily like she's not actually in the movie a lot i feel like for someone who is def- second build but when she is in the movie she has this really tough like archetypical nag character and she gives it a lot of emotion and depth um and i also think she acts drunk really good and i think that's always hard to see in these older films they get like a convincing drunk performance out of someone so i'm going with gene simmons for best actress the reason i pick actress is because she's second build um, and also because I looked at the nominations for this movie that actually happened in BAFTA and Golden Globes put her in lead. So I will too. <laughs> so, okay. Oh, what I want to say also before we uh, wrap it up entirely is that AFI ranked Luck Be a Lady as number 42 as their greatest movie song of all time. And this movie is later 23 best musical of all time from AFI. Okay. So it is a well-regarded musical. I'm sure people listening to this can catch on that by now. Yes. So um, now I'll say what we're doing next time because Caleb usually asked me, and last time I was a jerk about it. So. Hey, Danny, what are we doing next time? What you doing All next right. time, Danny? Uh, well, Kevin, you won't be here with us. Sorry, okay. but it's okay because we're right. covering a genre that Caleb likes a lot. But can we have a drum roll, please, for what we're going to get at the 29th Academy Awards? The 29th Academy Awards with six nominations and no wins is William Wyler's Friendly Persuasion, which is a Western about Quakers. Hell yeah, <laughs> brother. <laughs> Quakers. So, it's about Quakers, but it's a Western. Uh, no, don't care. no guns on this Western one. Yet. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. To be clear, I didn't think this was a Western until I uh, put the movie on hold at the library and I saw 100% off the cover. It is at least marketed as a Western. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, Friendly Hitch Persuasion, William Wyler will be returning. We've covered a movie of his before, right? Oh, yeah. Captain Blood, of course. And I think another one, too. I can't remember. Starring Gary Cooper and a bunch of other actors who I can't. Oh, he did The Letter also and Little Foxes. Oh, he didn't do Captain Blood. He did Dead End. So we've this will be his fourth appearance on the podcast, William Wyler. So sorry, Regis to me. You're already being outclassed. Before we sign off, Kevin, why don't you tell the listeners... Uh, where they can find you if they want to find you and like just again like you know close yourself out here you know (laughs) uh i've enjoyed being on this uh on this podcast this has been a lot of fun um i love nerding out on broadway musicals and uh especially guys and dolls because it's it's a show that's very close to me um so thank you guys for having me on um hope to be back at some point uh talk about something else um maybe even another musical i don't know but, you don't uh, want to be on for our next one. I guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tell you what it is when we're done for off recording. Okay, it's something cool. that we've been dreading for a while. <laughs> Ooh, that's gonna be fun then. All right. <laughs> awesome. It was great to have you on, Kevin. I'm glad this could happen because I knew you would bring way more insight to this movie than I would I'm... as the resident musical. Well, Sarah, I know has a good connection to this musical yeah. too, like growing up. But like, I'm also way very. More than me. I'm very sorry that I was like extremely difficult with the dates and like times. And I, even yesterday, I'm like, can we push it back to seven? I'm going to be at my family. Yeah, we were. I was like, what? But it's I was okay. like, I I'm thought Danny was going to be, I thought you were going to kill me. I was like, I'm oh, sorry. I, 
<laughs> I was I was stewing, but I was also dealing with the booster. So I was like, I, okay. I could text back and be like, <laughs> but yeah, um, but it's I'm glad we could get you on because, again, yeah. I think you brought a lot to this episode. Um, I'm Danny Vincent to the listeners. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankments for all my movie takes. You can also listen to my other podcast, Looking for the Ocean, A Pixar Journey, which very interestingly, at this point when this episode is out, our next episode has Sarah on it talking about Monsters, Inc., and our previous episode has Joe Schrimmer, our editor, on it, talking about Buzz Lightyear Starkman, The Adventure Begins, starring Tim Allen. So if you want to come, want to listen to either our editor, who we will thank right now. Thanks, Joe. Thank Thanks, you. Joe. Uh, or Sarah, talk about Pixar stuff with me and our friend Mark. You can go and listen to that. And also, Kevin's already guested on that, too, yeah. if you want to hear our Toy Story um, episode. Yeah, from about the Toy Story one. Yeah, about a couple months ago now, I feel like. Um, yeah. You were her first guest, and now we've had like eight. <laughs> There's a lot of guests. Nice. Anyway, um, but yeah, uh, you can listen to that wherever you can find your podcast. And yeah. I am Caleb. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. From there, you can find my litany of other podcasts Hot Trash Unlimited, Star Wars Therapy, which we uh, just, when this episode comes out, just released our Empire Strikes Back commentary. And the all new 52, which I do with our previously thanked editor, Joe. No, <laughs> thank thanks, you, Joe. Again. Joe. <laughs> Danny stole. Sorry, you have to mention Joe when you're signing And you can find me on Letterboxd, Sarah Kanoff, um, Twitter and Instagram, uh, SGK, E-S-S-G-E-K-Y 29. Um, I don't have anything exciting going on. Just we're recording on October 1st. So if you want to check out my letterbox, um, I'm doing my October series, 31 horror movies directed by women. So you can check that out. Um, other than that, you can find us, the Snub Club on Facebook, just the Snub Club, uh, Twitter, Snub Club Pod, uh, Instagram, Snub Club Podcast. Awesome. And yeah, uh, once again, thank you, Kevin, for coming on. Uh, and we will see all of you, well, hear all of you next time with a friendly persuasion. Well, well, it's just friendly persuasion, but yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.